Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast part of the 90 Min Football family. With me, your host, Harry Simeu. And on this episode, we're going to be looking back on another disappointing result, another damaging defeat because Arsenal are out of the FA Cup at the third round stage, which is never, um, never great, never ideal. Okay, we had a difficult draw um, and going out in the fourth round last season was largely because we were drawn away to Manchester City. So, you know, you've got to look at the draws and, and factor that in as well. But obviously, in a, a week or so when people have started to think that maybe the title is beyond us, and as a consequence of that feeling, people have started to think that the Champions League is beyond us. I think a lot of people looked at the FA Cup as our best chance of silverware this season, and that chance has gone. So I understand the disappointment. I understand the frustration. I'm as frustrated as anybody that we're out of the cup competition. And um, and I think that there is a lot of questions that need to be asked, not just of the manager, but of the players as well. Um, their level of performance is something that ultimately Mikel Arteta is, is responsible for as their boss, but they need to take some accountability here as well. And I don't wish to sit here and, and dig out individual players. That's not what I want to do. I am going to talk about some individuals on this podcast, but only because and, and largely because I think some people get a much rougher ride than others do in the lazy analysis that follows Arsenal defeats and, and poor results for Arsenal. You know, I was on the radio this morning. I was on the, the TalkSport breakfast show bright and early, 6.30 a.m. for those of you uh, that were up, for those of you that weren't, don't worry about it. <laughs> But one of the first things that was thrown at me by the presenters was, well, what are you going to sign Kai Havertz for? And I just think about it and I'm like, that is the comment of someone that doesn't actually watch Arsenal, but has picked up on a narrative that has been so widespread over the last few months and just wants to throw that name in because it's their go-to and it's what, the noise has been so those that maybe don't follow the club as closely are all on that train. You know, it, it, to me, it's it's just lazy, man. Like, we'll talk about Kai Havertz in a bit more detail later on. I don't think, um, you know, his finishing, for example, yesterday was anywhere near where it needed to be, but he wasn't the only one. And that's my point. I'm fine with criticising people, but you've got to be fair in the way that you dish that out. And you've got to be fair in your analysis. And I don't think a lot of people are fair in their analysis. I think there are a lot of people that have been asking questions of Arteta from the beginning that are using this run of results to really kind of double down on their points. I think that Arteta has some responsibility as a manager always does when you're on a bad run of form. But I think that the, the debate and the argument is a lot more nuanced around what's going wrong with Arsenal at this moment in time. And so it can't just be Saka Arteta or Kai Havertz was a mistake or, you know, David Raya's the problem, which some people are still peddling, even though the guy didn't play yesterday. Like, do you know what I mean? There's, there's got to be a deeper analysis conducted and there's got to be 
um, a bit more balance to some of the arguments that we see. Now, I understand that people are emotional after a game, myself included. I mean, when the game finished and I made my way down um, from my sort of commentary position into uh, the radio room where we're waiting for, um, you know, the managers to come through, I tweeted something along the lines of, I don't even want to be on Twitter tonight. I, I can't be bothered to read angry nonsensical arguments and responses from people that are just pissed off basically. And, you know, I was thinking about it as I was driving home and I was like, no, no, I have to make my point. I have to say what I'm feeling. I have to put it out there because there's too much noise going the other way. And that's how passionate we are about it, that we can't always control it and we can't always keep it inside. So I understand why people go on rants and why people get upset and why people feel um, the frustration after a result and, and sort of and the consequences of that result yesterday. But I just think that we have a responsibility as supporters to try and make sense of what's going on first and foremost, and then um, get behind the team so that they can hopefully put it right before it's too late, before our season goes up in smoke. Our season hasn't gone up in smoke yet. We're within touching distance of the top of the Premier League. We're still in the Champions League and we've got a great chance of progressing through to the last eight. You know, there's plenty to look forward to still this season. There's plenty to be positive about. And I'll, I want to start on a positive. Let's talk about Arsenal's first half display because I thought it was excellent. Minus the finishing, it was everything you wanted it to be. We limited Liverpool to very little. There was... Um, a Trent Alexander-Arnold effort that came off the crossbar, really good effort. But that was the one moment that they seemed to break away and cause us problems. Other than that, we kept them at arm's length. Um, we created plenty of chances of our own. Um, I thought that Reese Nelson looked really lively in that first 45 minutes out on the left-hand side. It didn't always come off for him, but he was always willing to try and take on Trent Alexander-Arnold. There was plenty of energy um, in his game. You looked on the other side. I thought, all right, Bukayo Saka wasn't able to apply the finishing touch or, or you know, execute the final pass. But, you know, he looked confident again. He looked like, you know, when he picked up the ball, that he was willing to run at people nice and quickly, um, nice and sharply and almost commit people. Then you looked inside and you looked at Martin Odegaard and you thought, doing really, really well at getting into those spaces in between the lines, receiving the ball in those areas. And I think a big part of the reason that we played quite well yesterday in the first half, especially, was because of Jorginho coming back into the side. Now, a lot of people criticise um, Jorginho. They do. You know, they, they, there's always a reason um, as to why, uh, you know, Jorginho is not good enough. Oh, he's too slow. Oh, he's not physical enough. All the rest of it. Jorginho has helped us yesterday with an issue that I think has been a big problem for us over the last few weeks, which has been the speed through which we progress the ball um, through the lines. I think that that has been a big problem for us. And it's difficult to create one-on-one -on -one situations when you take too long to work the ball into the players that you're hoping to put in those, in those positions. So I think that Jorginho added something. I think our midfield looked a lot more balanced. People will say that, you know, Liverpool were under strength and they were, and you, you got to factor that in as well. But this was an Arsenal side that was also under strength. Most of you wouldn't put Jorginho in our starting eleven when everybody's fit. Most of you wouldn't put Jakob Kivior in at left-back. Most of you wouldn't put Reese Nelson in the starting eleven. We were without Gabriel Jesus. Our first-choice goalkeeper, whether you like it or not, David Raya, wasn't in the team. 
So Arsenal were under strength too. Yeah, we had some key players playing. Of course we did, and probably more than Liverpool. But we weren't at our best in terms of the 11 that we fielded either. So I take the point, but I also think it's almost a little bit convenient when you're, you're wanting to slag off Arsenal um, to say, yeah, you know what, don't worry about it. Um, you know, it, it didn't mean anything um, because, you know, because they were under they were under strength and, and they weren't very good. So, yeah, um, it, it's a hard one, isn't it? Um, I, I want to feel I want to feel angry. Um, but when I assess why it went wrong, it's 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 hard to, you know, it's hard to. The disappointment is there, of course. But yeah, um, it, it's hard to be angry with the players, angry with the team. Um, but yeah, look, I'm going to take a short pause. Um, and, and when we come back, we're going to we're going to dive into um, some of the individual performances. We're also going to talk about whether or not Mikel Arteta needs to be held responsible, what he can do better, what he's maybe done in the past that has led to us getting to this point. Um, and, and I want to take loads of your comments through this show. I want it to be a really interactive one. So keep them coming uh, in the live chat. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna podcast here. Uh, don't go anywhere. I'll be back with you very, very shortly. Welcome back to uh, the Chronicles of Aguna podcast brought to you by the 19-min football family. Okay, so we've touched on the first half performance. Lots of opportunities created. Lots of moments from which we should have punished Liverpool. Um, there was the, the Martin Odegaard effort that hit the crossbar after Arsenal had sliced them open. There was a couple of occasions where we won the ball really high up the pitch. And one point I want to make before I move on, actually, that I don't think has, has been made um, uh, enough is that after the game, when I was waiting in the radio room, Jurgen Klopp came in and he came in before Mikel Arteta. He came in before Mikel Arteta and he said, oh, really tough game. He said, um, Arsenal's system done us in the first half. He said they were putting our six under pressure. We couldn't play out from the back. Their press was super aggressive and that they'd slightly tweak things, obviously with Jorginho coming in to give them that little bit more control. And we really, really struggled with it in the first half. An acknowledgement there from Jurgen Klopp that Mikel Arteta had shaken it up a little bit, that Mikel Arteta had done something to try and, you know, gain any slight advantages that he could over this Liverpool side. And but for some poor finishing, we'd have all been talking about the tactical masterclass. And that's, that, that's the point here. I'm not saying that what we're seeing right now is acceptable, is okay, or is good enough. And people keep saying in the chat that I'm making excuses. I'm not. I'm not saying that what we've seen over the last few weeks is good enough from Arsenal Football Club. It needs to be better. We set the bar very high last season. But I'm trying to figure out what the actual issue is. Now, if we go on a witch hunt for our manager, who has set us up in the last three games to produce over 60 shots at goal, Give up very little in terms of clear-cut chances. But in the two penalty areas, as he keeps saying, we're not efficient enough, i.e., um, you know, we're not taking our chances at one end and we're giving away sloppy goals at the other end due to individual mistakes. Then how can I put it solely on him? Ultimately, he's responsible for the result. Of course he is. 
He's the manager of the football club. That's what he gets paid to do, manage the football club and take the responsibility when things aren't going great. But to, to point the blame solely or, or put the blame solely on him, I think is really harsh and really unfair. When I go back to last season, I think about what was so great about this Arsenal side and why we were all so excited and why we were all turning up every week buzzing. It's partly because we all looked at a lot of these players. Um, you know, I'm talking uh, Saka, Martinelli, Odegaard, and we thought, bloody hell, this lot are good. You know, they all managed 15 league goals um, over the course of the season each in the Premier League, which is superb. We looked at them and we went, the scary thing about this and the best thing about this is that there is so much more to come from these guys. Who honestly predicted that midway through this season, all of them would hit a dip in form in terms of their outputs? I don't think anyone predicted that. I don't think anybody saw that coming. Instead, people were celebrating last season that Arsenal had managed to tie these guys down to long-term contracts. So it's amazing how opinions can change really, really quickly. We'll talk about Kai Havertz because a lot of people, um, you know, have, have, have gone after him again, which is always going to happen um, every time, you know, he doesn't score. But I thought in the centre-forward position yesterday, he gave us quite a lot obviously without the thing that we need most, which is the finish. He had a couple of attempts at goal that just weren't good enough. Um, really poor. Looked like he was lacking in confidence. Looked like he couldn't make his mind up quick enough what it was that he wanted to actually produce. And obviously that led to, you know, chances being missed. And that led to um, frustration on our part. And in the end, we were punished for that. You will get punished for that when you play against the best sides. That's how football works. Um but his movement was good. And, and I'm not saying that when you spend £65 million on a player, all you should require from them is movement. But I'm trying to analyse his performance fairly. And the reason I don't want to go too big on his finishing is because Saka's finishing was dreadful. It was really bad. Really, really bad yesterday. Somebody said in the chat that I said um, Saka was good. I didn't say that Saka was good. I said that Saka in the first few minutes of the game, in the early part of the game, looked lively and looked like he wanted to take people on and commit people. I never once said that his end product was good. His end product was probably worse than any other Arsenal players yesterday. But do, do you see the point I'm trying to make? If you want to analyse this game fairly and you want to break this game down fairly, then you need to hold Saka equally as responsible as Kai Havertz. And that isn't happening. You know, you only need to look online to see the vitriol that's directed at Kai Havertz again. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's it's a tough one. It's it's tough to be positive. But, you know, I think when you make that many chances, as we have done over the last few weeks, I think the one game that I look back at and I go, that just wasn't good enough from start to finish in every department was the Fulham game. But the West Ham game, we've done enough to win it. And the... Um, you know, the Liverpool game was a game in which we created enough to win it. We just didn't. I think, I think for me, one of the big issues I have with some of the analysis around this is, is people's inability to differentiate between what is down to coaching and what is down to an individual delivering. And that's the bit that I struggle with. And I have this conversation with my brothers all the time. We talk about it all the time. Um, you know, it's as if, 
managers are FIFA players with the controller and are in control of every aspect of the game. You know, when to change player, when to make a slide tackle, what decision to make. That's not how football works, man. As a coach, you set up a system. You set a team up to go out there and hopefully win a game of football. Now, you can do loads as a coach to equip them in the best possible way to increase their chances of going out and winning that game. But they still have to deliver. They have to score the chances when they come along. They have to be smart and switched on defensively. They have to execute the plan that you've put in place. And unfortunately for us at this moment in time, we are seeing a failure to execute when we're creating goal-scoring opportunities. So look, we can go back in time and we can talk about the decision to sign David Raya. We can talk about the decision to sign Kai Havertz. I appreciate that people are divided and split on that. And that's fine. I haven't got a problem with that kind of criticism. But when you're looking at this game in isolation, you need to be able to differentiate between what the coach is responsible for and what the players themselves are responsible for delivering and executing on the football pitch. That's what you need to be able to do. And unfortunately, I think there are too many people out there that don't don't seem to... I, I don't think it's that they can't do it. I think it's that they don't want to do it because that would cloud their agenda. That would cloud, um, you know, or, or that would go some way in disproving their narrative around what they want to happen with the manager, i.e. get him sacked. You know, Saka's outputs in terms of the percentage of chances that he takes, he's got off the cliff. Martinelli's been the same in recent weeks. You know, um, Kai Havertz isn't converting anywhere near what we need him to be able to. Gabriel Jesus ain't doing it either when he plays. Eddie Nketiah is not doing it when he plays. Leandro Trossard hasn't been all that effective in recent times. Reese Nelson looked lively yesterday, but do, does anyone sit there and think, yeah, Reese Nelson is the solution? Play him every single week? I don't think they do. I don't think they do. And so we're suffering from a period of time where everybody's form that we need to be informed when it comes to our attacking play. And last season, what was great was there were the odd weeks where Saka wasn't at his brilliant best, but Martinelli would be great that day. Or Trossard will come into the team and give you something. And vice versa. And we're not seeing that this season. We're seeing a collective dip in form from all of our attacking players. And that's why we've got a bit of a problem at the moment. The break coming now is a good thing. This is the best possible time for this break to come along, in my opinion. Arsenal have got, I think, what, 12, 13 days off now. They're going to go off and do some warm weather training. They're going to regroup. They're going to reset. There's loads and loads and loads to reflect on. There's loads to mull over. Mikel Arteta said yesterday that, you know, a lot of this, or, or he, I'm not going to say he said a lot of this. He, he alluded to the fact, or admitted even, that actually maybe this is starting to play a part on the players' minds. All this talk about not finishing. Are they snatching at chances in some cases? In other cases, are they taking too long to make the decision? Are they almost fighting against their instincts? You know, I played as a striker, not at this level, but I played at a really, really good level. Um, I was a centre-forward. And when I was going through a bad patch of form, now it's not comparable to the Premier League, but I'm trying to, to try and make a point about the mindset. You know, there were times where I was going through a great period where, you know, I'd 
be put through on goal and the goalkeeper would come out and I'd chip the ball over the top of him and into the back of the net it went. Now, I didn't think about that. I didn't think about as the ball was played through, oh, I'm going to chip it over the goalkeeper. Sometimes it was just my instinct. I looked, saw where the keeper was, bang. When you're confident, when you're in full flow, that happens. And there were other times where I wasn't in good form and that little moment of hesitation where I'm thinking about what I'm going to do will give the goalkeeper the opportunity to come out and dive on the ball or to force me wide, which kills the opportunity or whatever. So I'm just trying to demonstrate that the mindset when you're really confident in comparison to when you've got this weight on your shoulders of not having scored a goal for a while, it, it, you know, it's two completely different things. Let me take some of your comments and then uh, we'll move on to the next point. Um, what else have we got? Uh, Kurt says uh, Havertz could have gotten two assists, one for Nelson and one for the Saka Gabriel chance. His hold up was good. Yeah. And, and if he did, then nobody would really be talking about the chances he missed. Instead, you'd be talking about what a great facilitator he was. And, and that's the point. You know, narratives are are shaped by the finest of margins. Kevin Levy says this whole habit is lacking in confidence. He's nonsense, Harry. He plays every week. How can he be lacking in confidence? Well, how can he not be lacking in confidence when he gets home from a game, jumps on his smartphone and just reads loads of vile comments about him and people talking about why signing him was such a bloody waste of money? How can that not affect someone? Like... Footballers will always tell you, no, I don't read social media. I don't read the papers. I don't listen to what they say on the TV about me. I don't listen to what they say on the radio about me. It is impossible to avoid. Yesterday, I listened to, or yesterday when I was in the stadium, where I was situated was around about the halfway line. So to my left, it was the North Bank. To my right, it was the clock end where there was a larger than normal allocation of away supporters. That's, that's the rules in the FA Cup. Every time he missed a shot, every time he missed a chance, every time he, you know, got something wrong, what did the Liverpool fans do? They'd sing Darwin Nunez, Darwin Nunez. Because they're behind him and they support him. And they recognise that although he's not scoring as many goals as he should be scoring, he brings value to the team. Kai Havertz brought plenty of value to the team yesterday in terms of chance creation, in terms of hold-up play, in terms of the press. Yet we choose to go after our players. We choose to be not, not just critical, but abusive towards some of our players. And we wonder why then that has an impact on their mindset and has an impact on their confidence. Compare the way that we talk about Kai Havertz to the way that Liverpool fans talk about Darwin Nunez. The truth is neither of them score enough goals Darwin Nunez cost a fortune, but the Liverpool supporters are behind him. And you know what that does? That helps him to keep going, to keep pushing. And in the end, he ends up making a contribution um, to, the, to the outcome of the game. So I'm not saying that you should, you know, always look at every player and go, yep, he, he's great, even when they're not. And that you should deny when they're not playing well or anything like that. But during the course of a game, for God's sake, get behind your players. The Liverpool fans that made the trip yesterday put us to shame. There was, what, seven, 8,000 of them in comparison to, you know, what, 52,000 Arsenal fans? You wouldn't have thought it being inside the Emirates Stadium yesterday. And that's the kind of thing that's changed as well. As fans, 
maybe we've got a bit complacent. And I'm not just talking about, I'm not digging out other people. This is me as well. You know, I'm a match going fan, all of us. Last season, it was a bit of a surprise. It was a special ride. And as a result of that, we were all buzzing and we were all behind them at every moment. I don't get that same feeling when I go there this season. There's a feeling of expectation. And maybe that that is playing a small part. Dennis says, uh, can we address how bad Saka is looking right now? And I don't want to hear about fatigue from this fan base. I don't think it's fair to completely overlook the fatigue point. Because, you know, we, we're hearing constantly that Bukayo Saka is, is playing with an injury at the moment, which can't be easy. Um, you know, in an ideal world, you, you, you'd give him a rest. And if you want to talk about where we've gone wrong in the transfer market and where Mikel Arteta's maybe been a bit naive, the right wing position is is one that I think you can have a complaint about. The fact that we have a lack of depth there is a problem. Now, Arteta might say to you, well, in theory, I don't have another specialist right winger, but I do have a lot of wingers within the makeup of my squad. I've got Reese Nelson. I've got Martinelli. I've got Leandro Trossard. Um, you know, and I, and I could even use Gabriel Jesus there. But the reality is that if Arteta really trusted any of those options to operate from the right, then Bukayo Saka would get a break and a rest from time to time. Wouldn't play 90 minutes every week, even when he's clearly dead on his feet. So I agree with people's criticism of Arteta when it comes to the management of Bukayo Saka. That is one of the things I agree with. And I'm not afraid to say when I agree with the criticism of the manager. I just want the valid ones to come to the fore and to be the things that we're discussing. Not stuff like, oh, his system was wrong yesterday. His system dominated Liverpool for probably 70, 75 minutes. And that system produced more than enough opportunities to win the game. There was a lack of efficiency at both ends of the pitch. Um, more so in the forward position, you know, the own goal, it can happen. It's really unfortunate. And the second goal is what happens when you go chasing an equaliser. I thought that the idea of taking Jorginho off when he did um, was probably was probably wrong. Um, you know, he will argue that maybe Jorginho was, was blowing and, you know, couldn't continue anymore. And, and maybe that's fair. But, you know, I think that we lost a bit of control there. I think that once that happened, we ended up in a situation where we, we couldn't even get the ball. We couldn't progress the ball through the lines. And as a result of that, we were very unlikely to create the kind of chance that we needed to find the equaliser that we were craving. You know, it's it, it's a hard one because football is one of those games where there are so many variables. That's why we love it. That's why it's beautiful. That's why you see more shocks in football than most other sports because there are so many variables. Um, but yeah, let's... Uh, Let's um, continue. Um, let's continue through the comments. Graham says, Havertz drives me to distraction, Harry, because he looks as if he doesn't care. I find it so hard to identify with a player like that. As someone who played in kind of academy football, um, I can tell you that you don't get to where Kai Havertz is if you don't care. Impossible. It's impossible. Um, I think people have different styles of body language. I think people carry themselves in different ways. Kai Havertz is clearly a bit of an introvert. Um, you know, I, I played with a player um, back in the day at Leighton Orient, a lad, um, a lad called Chad, um, who was one of the best midfielders I'd ever come across. But you went to speak to him. He was lost. He never had any words. Super quiet, kept himself to himself never really mixed with the rest of the boys, never really 
um, joined in in any of the kind of banter or anything like that. Um, looked at times as if he was a little bit, you know, lackadaisical. But once the ball was pinged into him, he came alive. And and I think that, you know, this is this is a problem that we had with Mesut Ozil as well. People went, he doesn't care. Look at the way he carries himself. People used to say it about Dimitar Berbatov as well. But they were all exceptional footballers. So I, I get that it's difficult to identify with someone like that. But I think you have to make a conscious effort as a supporter to go, well, that is the way he is. It's not because he doesn't care. And you, maybe you have to keep reminding yourself of that. Maybe that's that's what you have to do in order to to feel that connection to him yourself personally. But I don't buy into this stuff of someone's body language can make me dislike them or like them. I think that if they're producing on the football pitch, that should be a secondary point. Andrew says, seriously, something is going on behind the scenes as the mentality of the players has changed big time. What What's changed though? Like, is it that, do you think they're not trying? Because I think that's an unfair criticism. I think it's plenty of effort and application. I think we're just not producing what we need to be producing um, at this moment in time. Um, Christopher Ojopa says, what will your excuse be if Arsenal don't beat Crystal Palace next week? There won't be an excuse. Because Crystal Palace are a side that you need to beat at home if you have aspirations of not just winning the league, but finishing in the top four. You know, one-off results can happen. We lost at Fulham. Um, and I thought the reaction to that was over the top because it was just clearly an off day for us. Off days happen. And in the Premier League, you get punished. That's why people call it the best league in the world. I'm not going to sit here and make excuses if we don't beat Palace because then all of a sudden... You've gone into a longer run. You've had the break. The break hasn't done anything. The reset hasn't done anything for you. Then you've got to start asking questions for sure. For sure. But I don't have a problem with people asking questions. I have a problem with whom those questions are directed at and who the criticism is directed at because I don't feel that it's always directed into the right places. And I don't think you can actually fix problems if you don't identify what the actual issues are. You know, that's that's with anything in life. If you don't actually understand what the problem is and you're just choosing to pin it on someone who isn't really responsible for that particular element or aspect, then you're going to end up trying to fix the wrong stuff, in which case it's a wasted effort. And I think sitting here today and being revisionist and going back and saying, well, we shouldn't have signed Kai Havertz or saying we should sign Ivan Tony tomorrow, which is never going to bloody happen for a hundred million pounds. Then what are you actually achieving by moaning about the fact that Arsenal aren't going to spend a hundred million pounds on a striker that isn't worth anywhere near that mainly and largely because they can't. What are you achieving by saying that focus on what the actual issue is? The actual issue is not the makeup of the squad necessarily. I agree that we could do with a better striker. I agree that we could do with that clinical, um, cold-blooded finisher, of course. But I've been saying it all season. That is not coming until the summer. I've been saying it all season. I'm not changing my tune. I'm not the one changing my tune. This has been my view and what I've been saying consistently throughout the course of the season. A big striker is going to cost a shit ton of money. And Arsenal cannot spend the shit ton of money in January without sales. Then people say to me, um, why don't you sell Enketia then? Why don't you sell um why don't you sell Emil Smith Rowe? And do you know what my answer to that is? Think of think of 
the complexity of a one of these deals in isolation, but b in terms of the whole process now of Arsenal selling to be able to buy. The difficult thing about a January window, it, do you know what it is? It's how short it is. When you make a summer signing, you have the entire summer. You've got June, July and August. You've got a three-month period over the course of which you can do that business. Look how long the Declan Rice thing rumbled on for. Right? These things, they, they, they go on for some time. They take time in a lot of cases. If you've got cash money ready to go and buy something, then obviously... That makes some that makes these negotiations and the processing of these deals much easier. It's like buying a property, right? Let's say, for example, I want to sell my house tomorrow and I want to buy another one. I've got to put my house up for sale. I've got to then identify another place that I want to buy. I've then got to get the mortgage in place. The surveyor's got to come out and check it. Then I'm going to get, um, you know, I'm going to get myself into a position where I'm relying on the buyer of my house so that I can then raise the funds to buy the next house. And you end up in like a bit of a chain. Now, it's a property purchase and it's different, but they can take an awful lot of time. And you're talking about 400, 500,000 pounds. How complex is a deal worth 65, 70 million pounds? And not only that, not only that, in January, because the window is so short, it becomes tough to sell to buy because what happens is, let's say for argument's sake, I'm going to use this as an example. I'm not saying it's happening. Eddie and Ketty at Crystal Palace. Crystal Palace come in and they say, we've got an interest in Eddie and Ketty. And you look at this as Arsenal and you go, oh, you know what? We need a better striker than Eddie and Ketia. This is a real good opportunity to cash in on him. Let's get 25, 30 million pounds in the bank then we can chuck a little bit more on top and we can go and sign Dusan Vlavic for £50 million. Pounds. Now, this is all hypothetical, but there is a point to this. Then Crystal Palace come along and they say, oh, I will give you £20 million. Pounds. And you say, no, nope, 25 And they say, 22 and a half. And then you say, no, nope, 25 And then they go, 23 And, and that takes time, right? That, that will be over a period of time. Then you get to the point where you've agreed a fee with Crystal Palace. You've gone in the meantime and told Juventus, yeah, we're interested in Dusan Vlavic. But you have to have that same negotiation that you're having with Palace with them, but the other way around. You then have to get Eddie Nketiah, or hope that Eddie Nketiah, agrees personal terms with Crystal Palace so that that deal can be done swiftly. It's got to undergo a medical. In the meantime, you've got to first convince Juventus, then you've got to convince Dusan Vlavic. All of this stuff takes time. And in a window that is only one month long, it's incredibly difficult to make significant signings if you don't have the cash available to you. Juventus might turn around in this whole process, having said, yep, yep, fine, no problem, all the way along, and go, ah, hold on a minute, we can't sign off on this officially just yet because we're trying to get a player in from Napoli. And then there's a whole other negotiation there, contracts, um, fees, image rights, blah, 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 medicals, all of that, personal terms. These things take time. And that's why I always say the January window is one in which people are normally more reactionary. Because if you've got money available to you and you spot an opportunity, then great, you can make it happen. But if you're relying on sales to raise money in a January window, the window in which you can operate to get that money in and then bring people in the other way is, is, um, is quite difficult. It really, really is. Loads more comments coming through. Loads of great comments. Look, I don't agree with all of them, but it's great debate. It's great conversation. Uh, we're going to take a really short pause. And when I return, we'll continue 
through the chat box. I'll be with you in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90min football family. Uh, thank you so much for being with me on this Monday morning. Bit of a depressing Monday morning from an Arsenal point of view, but hey, um, we live to fight another day. Let me take this uh, super chat uh, from Josh. Uh, Josh, thank you so, so much, mate, for your support of the podcast. He says, our fan base makes me feel ill. The rise we have seen um, has been amazing. Two freak losses and the worst performance in years and everybody loses their head. I, I, I agree with that. And again, I'll make the point that I made earlier. It's not that we're saying to people, you can't be annoyed or disappointed or frustrated. It's about the context. There's a reason that league championships are decided over 38 games and not over 10. Um, you know, because a lot can change, a lot can happen. And it's about showing consistency and showing that you're the best over a period of time. That's why we always say that leagues are the hardest things to win over cups where, you know, you can be in great form. You can get the rub of the green in terms of the draw, et cetera, et cetera. I, I don't have a problem with people saying, I don't like this or I don't like that. I have a problem with people going too big on lazy analysis and pushing agendas that just don't have any place, really. Um, and, and people say, I'm an Arteta's defence lawyer, all the rest of it. I don't give a shit if that's what people call me and label me as, because I'm trying to analyse my team based on what I see, not what someone on Twitter told me. And not... And I'm not going to sit here and only say what I think is going to drive the most clicks. So, yeah. Okay. Um, what else have we got in the live chat? Uh, Wayne says, why aren't our academy players getting minutes? At nil-nil, Klopp brought on two academy players. This is another valid point. This is another valid point. You know, if if Mikel Arteta wants to kind of show people that there is this pathway at Arsenal and that's something that the club pride itself on, then he's got to do more as a manager in certain circumstances. I don't really have a problem with him not bringing on academy players yesterday because of the game state. But for example, like PSV Eindhoven away from home, he could have done it. You know, we were through as group winners. He could have used some of those lads that he took on that trip. And I know I said at the time that it was great that they got to go on the trip and got the experience of it and all that, which I still, you know, stick by. I think there are moments where... um you know, you can um, you can give these people the exposure that they need that will help them and shape their careers moving forward. Yeah, you're right. Jurgen Klopp did bring on a couple of academy players. He brought on Bradley um, at right back, who I thought did well, actually. They needed, I don't think that they needed fresh legs necessarily at right back because I think that um, Alexander-Arnold was doing fine. But what he did was he took off Harvey Elliott, didn't he, who, who wasn't that impactful on the game. 
replaced him in midfield with Trent Alexander-Arnold and put Connor Bradley on at right back. But listen, these are not players that have come out of the blue, by the way. Like Liverpool fans have been well aware of Connor Bradley and and Jarrell Kwanzaa, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I know the other one he brought on was was Clark. Um, but, you know, I work with with Grizz Khan on, on the 90 Min Football Show and he's been talking about these guys for a little while. So these are not players that have just come out of the blue. What, what did you want Arsenal, um, you know, Mikel Arteta to do yesterday? Like, did you want him to bring on Lino Sosa at left back or Ruel Waters or Ethan Waneri in midfield? Like, I, I, I get it as a general point, just I think in the analysis of this particular match, I don't have a problem with Arteta's decision there. Um, what else have we got? Let's roll uh, through the chat. Um, Ankit says, simple question, has Arteta got it completely wrong on Havertz and Raya? And is that to blame for the current form? I think it's incredibly harsh to pin it on those two players. I really do. Um, People are being critical of Kai Havertz in front of goal, but it's the same people that are being critical of Gabby Jesus in front of goal. So, again, we're we're back in that place where we go, if you're going to analyse in this way and you're going to pick on people for X, then you have to make sure that it's applied across the board. Um, David Raya hasn't been great since he's come to Arsenal. He hasn't convinced me. He hasn't filled me with confidence. But can I hand on heart say that that's the reason that we are in the position that we're in today? No, I, I don't think it is. It might be part of the reason. Um, and I'm okay with that. But is it solely the reason? Can I have it again? No, it's not solely the reason, is it? Um, you know, he's coming to the side um, and I think done okay. Not great. Not terrible. Okay. So I don't really put him at either end of the scale, to be honest, at this moment in time. Um, I mean, a couple of positives from yesterday, because we we got to give you some positives. Um, I did mention Jorginho. I thought that was a big positive. But I also thought Aaron Ramsdale, now we're on the subject of Raya, had a really good game yesterday. He looked really composed. He looked really concentrated. Made a really good save in the second half down to his right from uh, Luis Diaz, I think it was, at his near post. I thought his kicking was good. And I thought where Arteta deserved a bit of praise in terms of the game plan, which I touched on earlier, was that Arsenal didn't go, yeah, you know what, we're going to play in the way that Liverpool want us to. They changed it up a little bit. So Ramsdale was going that little bit more direct to Havertz, which meant that Arsenal weren't having to live with Liverpool's press all the time. At times they had to play through it, and I thought they played through it generally really well, uh, particularly again in the first half. But no, I don't I don't think I want to I want to look at two players and say, you are the reason that we are where we are. Uh, Robert says, signing Havertz was a terrible decision. Same with Raya. Now we need to try some options. Nelson left Martinelli up front. Uh, rest Saka and try Jesus on the right. We need to rest and try new options. Uh, I'm not convinced about Martinelli up front. I'm not convinced that Nelson's going to do it every week. Um, and I, I, I'm not... I'm not having that Havertz was a terrible decision. Um, it's a questionable decision and one that I think has rightly sparked quite a bit of debate. And the debate comes from not, you know, is Kai Havertz a good footballer or not? It comes from who he replaced and the fact that he was brought in to play in a position that was alien to him. And we've taken a bit of a risk and a gamble on trying to make him adapt into that player. Um, when he plays at centre forward, he's a better option than Eddie Nketiah for me. So, um, we would have upgraded in that sense. But 
I'm, I'm just not having it that it's one or two players that need to be held accountable here. Like, why isn't anyone saying that, you know, Bukayo Saka let us down yesterday, which he did. Why isn't anyone saying that Martin Odegaard let us down yesterday um, by trying to blast his effort into the, the roof of the net? No one's saying that. You know, th this is the thing that frustrates me. This is the thing that frustrates me. There are certain players that have this stigma attached to them. Havertz and Raya are two of them. And um, and we're going we're gonna to hear about it over and over again. I said it earlier. One of the most exciting things about last season was that we all felt there was more to come. So how about instead of always focusing, and not that they shouldn't have any blame at all, but how about instead of always focusing on the ones that came in, we focus on the ones that haven't produced at the same level last season? Because that is equally as responsible for the reason... Um, for, that is equally as uh, as culpable for why we we are where we are today. New signings, yeah, maybe haven't had the impact that Mikel Arteta hoped. You know, Jurian Timber, I'm sure, would have had a great impact, but obviously isn't available. But the point I'm making here is the reason we are where we are is just as much because Saka, Odegaard, Martinelli, Jesus haven't produced as it is because Havertz and Raya haven't been great. But we only choose to focus on one side of that argument. And that's the bit that frustrates me. Graham says, Harry, would you have bought Havertz or Vlavic in the summer? Um, I would. It's a tough one, right? Because Havertz, if you're talking about as a centre forward, then Vlavic every single day of the week and on a Sunday. Like, no doubt about that. Um. But obviously, Havertz wasn't signed to be primarily a midfielder. So if you're then asking me, would I have signed Vlavic over Havertz to play a midfield, then I wouldn't have. No. So that, that again, prime example of why this is all so nuanced and why this is all, um, you know, so much more complicated than, than people want to admit. But anyway. Uh, let's uh, let's move through uh, the chat. Um, Oyun Chula says, this is not about the football, it's about the mentality. I'm not seeing this mentality in my team right now. Again, that's another lazy bit of analysis. Like, with all due respect, mate, like, Arsenal don't win a game, it's mentality. Arsenal score a goal in the 96th minute, it's mentality. Um, mentality is, what is mentality? How do you quantify mentality? How do you or I know what's, going on in the players' heads watching from the outside. We don't have a clue. We don't have a clue. That's the reality of it. Mentality can show itself sometimes in big moments, in key moments. But I think, again, it's one of those things where, you know, it, it, we're picking out one of those lazy narratives over the years. What have people said? Arsenal don't have the mentality. Arsenal have a soft underbelly, blah, 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 blah. So the first sign of trouble, let's grab the mentality. Let's ignore that they've scored so many late winning goals because they had the right mentality. Let's ignore the comebacks because they had the right mentality. And let's just wheel out the mentality cart again because Arsenal aren't scoring enough goals at the moment. Jeff Edgar says, if all the players have dropped off a cliff scoring-wise, why has that happened? That is the million-dollar question. Now, if I could answer that, maybe I should be managing Arsenal, but I can't. This is the thing that Mikel Arteta and his staff need to get to the bottom of. Is it psychological? If it's psychological, they've got to work on that side of things. Is it technical? Difficult to say it's technical when last season they were producing it. And that's what makes this all so baffling and so difficult and so complex and so nuanced. But that is the question that people should be asking. 
why has the outputs why has the output level dropped so significantly from some players that were incredibly consistent last season that's what Mikel Arteta has to focus on not spending January hoping that Arsenal are going to win the lottery or that the financial fair play rules are going to disappear into thin air and we'll be able to go out and spend 100 million pound on the striker money helps and money is a big part of why we've progressed over the last couple of years of course but it's like I've used this example before. Like, am I going to sit there every night hoping that I get to go on a date with Jennifer Lopez? What a waste of time that would be because it's never going to bloody happen. So why are people sitting there wasting their time pretending that there's any chance whatsoever that Arsenal are going to spend £100 million on a centre forward between now and the end of the month? It's not going to happen. So put that to one side and focus on the actual problem, which Jeff um, highlights here. And if you can find the solution to that problem, then you're fine. And you could make do until the summer and get the striker in that you need. You know, Chelsea have spent a billion pounds. Are they already any better off for it? They're not. Spending isn't always the answer. Um, spending wisely is important. Um, and Arsenal have done that for the most part in recent years. But obviously that's caught up on us when it comes to the financials, which I've always said it would. And again, people called me out and criticised me and said that I was just anticipating the Cronkies changing their, their stance and blah, blah, blah. No, I was being realistic because I understand the financial fair play um, parameters and I understand that Arsenal were able to get away with spending more because they put certain things into place, but that at some point that was going to dry up. You know, we, we were losing money as a football club for a number of years when we weren't in the Champions League particularly from the COVID period onwards, until we got back in the Champions League, we were losing money every year. So, of course, our books weren't going to look great. Of course, there was going to come a point where that needed to be um, looked at and and our approach needed to change. And part of the reason that we've put ourselves in this position where we've got lots of good young players on five-year contracts now is so that we can sell them, so that they have value, so that we can try and reverse some of the damage done by not selling players for a number of years. Why? Because nobody bloody wanted them. Anyway, short pause and we'll be back with more. Uh, don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna. We'll do, I reckon, another 10 minutes or so. Don't go anywhere. Okay, what else have we got in the chat? I'm going to skip down it a little bit because I realise I'm really, really behind. Um, uh, Avzar says, Jennifer Lopez, bit outdated. Not to me, mate. <laughs> Not to me. Uh, what else have we got? Um, do, 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 do. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, I'm just reading through your comments. Um, Halo Mateus says, uh, Harry, anything you would like to say about why Enketia didn't play yesterday? I think it was tactical. Um, I talked a few minutes ago about the the idea of not wanting to kind of get caught out by Liverpool's press and trying to bypass that by going that little bit longer to Kai Havertz um, because he was playing up front and all the rest of it. Um, do I think that maybe there's something in it in terms of a potential move away for Eddie Nketiah? Maybe. Maybe. Maybe that's a factor. Don't know this, so don't quote me on it. But, um, you know, it did cross my mind. It did cross my mind. Um, okay. 
What else uh, have we got? Um, Temi Ola says, is it time for Arteta's talent ID to be scrutinized? This guy signed Havertz for 65 million. Kivior, Lakonga, Tavares and many players that have turned out to be mediocre. I can find mediocre signings under every single manager in world football because that's the nature of the business. It's a risk business. Um, you never know how a player is going to turn out. You can sign someone for £70 million. They do their ACL within a few weeks and, and you're up shit street and all of a sudden that's not an effective signing. I think that the Havertz one... I think had Havertz cost 30 to 40 million pounds, I'd be fine with it. I think we did overpay for Kai Havertz, but I said that at the time. I've not changed my view on that. You know, I've always said that the fee was a little bit over the top. I think the fee was over the top um, for a lot of players that we've bought in recent years, just because, you know, that's the market. That's a market issue, not an Arsenal issue. Um, Kivior is an okay centre-back. I've said this already. Um, Lokonga was a mistake, in my opinion. Tavares was a mistake, in my opinion. But if you get the majority of your big ones right, you can afford uh, those little uh, mishaps, which, you know, Nuno Tavares costs £8 million. So, yeah. Um, Graham says, uh, we still have everything to play for and we haven't been found out in the Champions League yet. But when the inquest is held on this year, it will confirm that the £65 million on Havertz was the wrong buy. We needed a striker. I think we do need a striker. I'm I'm not for a second saying that we don't need a striker. But who's the striker that we need? Because if you tell me today that by waiting to the summer, I'm going to get Vlavic or Osiman or someone that I regard of that quality, I will be okay with that. I'll be happy with that. If I'm going to wait until the summer and I'm going to end up with Ivan Tony or Dominic Solanke, I'm going to be underwhelmed by that. So I think we have to be realistic about who's attainable at this moment in time. I mean, people keep bagging on the, uh, the Ivan Tony drum, right? Ivan Tony hasn't kicked the football for how many months? And and to, to highlight what I'm talking about when I say that I listen to lazy analysis and I listen to people being overreactionary. Last night, on my way home from the Emirates, I was, I was listening to TalkSport. Majestic and Alan Pardew were on. Um, love Majestic, even though he's a Tottenham fan. Worked with him a few times. Great guy. Um, I think he's brilliant. Alan Pardew was awful, in my opinion. Alan Pardew said, and a caller backed this up as well, that actually it's okay that Ivan Tony hasn't played football for all these months. Do you know why? Because he scored a hat-trick for the reserves the other day. So he's obviously still at the same level. What? What is that about? We might, Then we might as well promote Kion Edwards or someone who's scoring goals in the sort of academy teams for us at Arsenal already. It's just like, for God's sake, man. That prime example of a lazy narrative. And then when I got home and I was going through Twitter... And people were saying about Ivan Tony, and some were replying saying, no, no, he's not the one. I, I don't think he's the answer to Arsenal's problems. There were replies underneath saying, but he scored a hat-trick for the reserve team. Do you see what happens when you put that kind of nonsense out into the world? People pick up on it and people start using it. For God's sakes, man. 
Like, that's the kind of stuff I can't deal with. That's the kind of stuff that frustrates me. And I'm so glad I did this podcast today and not last night. And this brings me on to a bit of news uh, that I wanted to share with you guys. Obviously, you know that I'm working like a, 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 I don't know what the right word is, a bit of an up and down schedule in terms of my times are all over the place. You know that I re release the pods at um, different times each day. And I know that at one stage we tried to go for 1 p.m. on a daily basis and that wasn't doable in the end. I finally feel like I'm in a place with my calendar now where I can commit to a time of day. And that time is going to be this time, 10 a.m. UK time. What that means is that um, the podcast will be out at a consistent time. Now, one of the problems we've had is that the YouTube audience is a different audience to the audio audience. And sometimes formats and stuff that work on YouTube don't always work on podcasts. So we might do two videos on a day on YouTube and they work great. But on audio, you might miss an episode because the other one's updated in your feed. So what I want to do is release an episode every day at 10 a.m. Uh, we're going to do that moving forward from today. Um, and then uh, you guys um, will be able to pick up any ad hoc bits as well um, on uh, sort of at later times and stuff like that. Graham says, haha, we've been here before, Harry. We really have. Um, we really, really have. It was impossible for me um, to maintain the 1 p.m. thing. And I'll always give you notice now going forward if we have to change it. Um, but I'm pretty confident at the moment because I, I feel like I've got a nice setup of work at the moment in terms of regular slots and regular things. And I know where I am. I'm not saying it's never going to change and I'm not saying there won't be days here and there where it has to. But my aim is to get you an episode out every day live at 10 a.m. That means it's available to our podcast listeners from 11. It's perfect timing for those of you waking up in the States in the morning. Um, and, and for those of you that are bored at work mid-morning here in the UK, um, you get something to tune into as well. Um, Lahane says, won't it overlap with a 90 min gas tank? No, it won't because that goes live at quarter past 11. Um, so we'll always be done before that. Um, and on the days that I am in the studio with 90 min, I'll be putting this out from that studio. Um, we're in the process of, um, of fixing all that up. So yeah, no, it'll be fine. It will be fine. And um, I'm looking forward to trying to stick to it. Also, another slice, listeners, I realize I owe you a fair few episodes. And we've got one coming out on Wednesday, which is a, a discussion about Thierry Omri. Um, what we're going to do is try and do more featured pieces. I think that's the way to go because the news is so reactionary. It moves. It changes so much. I think that's the way to do it, um, to do like feature pieces. And um, I'm going to a little bit later on today. Um, sit down and watch Thierry Henry's interview um, with Stephen Bartlett. I've seen the trailer of it and it looks fascinating and I really want to kind of break that down. So um, it gives you a bit of a warning. You can go away and watch that on the diary of a CEO, Thierry Henry, the guest, and then I will break that down because just looking at the trailer, it seems like there's some really fascinating stuff there. Okay, I'm going to leave it for today. Um, I'm going to leave it for now. Um, somebody asked a little bit earlier on if we're going to do a phone-in show, if we can do a phone-in show. I, I was probably one of the first to do them. I'm not saying I was the first, but we used to do them a lot. Um, and again, the schedule issue has been a problem with that. Uh, hopefully now with a bit more of a regular slot, we can do that. I know the evening's probably better for a lot of people. So maybe we'll try and schedule that ahead um, for an evening slot. And that'll be one of those ad hoc extra pieces. But um, yeah, it is something that we can do. It is something that I'd like to do more of. And um, yeah, I'll keep you guys posted on when we're going to do one. 
I beg your pardon. Um, couldn't hold the sneeze. Managed to get to the mute button in time. <laughs> right. Um, going to leave it there. My kind of final message is, look, I know it's not going the way we want it to at the moment. I know there's a lot of frustration. I know there's a lot of disappointment. And there always is when it comes to the FA Cup and Arsenal because of how much it means to us. But stick with the boys. Stick with the team. Um, stick with the players that we have because you're living in a fantasy world if you think we're going to go and bring in a couple of hundred million pound players to sort it all out. We know they're good enough because they showed it last season. We know that it's clearly a confidence thing. It's clearly a bad run of form. We're really unfortunate that it's all come at the same time. We know Mikel Arteta has made some mistakes. We know that Mikel Arteta has made some decisions that haven't panned out probably the way he thought they would in his mind when he took them. But, you know, you, you can't change that stuff. Um, mid-season, not at this point. We're still in the mix for the Champions League. We're still in the mix for the Premier League. There's still so, so much to play for. Let's take the break. Let's recharge. Let's regroup. And we go again. Um, and that that that's kind of my message. The analysis, you know, do it. Think about what you think has gone wrong. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. No problem whatsoever with that. But just think about it properly. Don't just jump on bandwagons like Kai Havertz or David Raya, who poor guy didn't even bloody play yesterday and he's still the problem apparently like just think about the analysis you know I think it's easier to do when you calm down a little bit um and and that will happen over the next few days and uh yeah we'll go again and um let's get behind the team listen I, I, that's our job as supporters right some people are fans some people are supporters I'm a supporter I support this football club because I love this football club and I don't see how getting on players' backs at a time when they need us is going to help anyone. I don't see how Kai Havertz popping online after a game and seeing everybody go at him and calling him the reason that Arsenal are not where they were last season. I don't get how that's helpful. And I think there's a way to criticise that is respectful. I think you can criticise people or ask questions of certain decisions in a way that doesn't have that vitriolic effect. And I think people need to think about that a little bit more. People keep talking about the vibes around the club, that they're not there. They're not the same as they were last season. Don't you think a part of that is to do with us, the supporters? Of course it is. Anyway, um, I will see you all soon with another episode. Don't go anywhere. Subscribe, like, all the rest of it. Notifications on. Um, make sure that you're with us uh, over the course of the next couple of weeks. There isn't going to be any football to talk about, but I'm sure uh, we'll have some transfer rumours to sink our teeth into. We'll bring you a few feature pieces and we'll make sure uh, that you're entertained um, within reason over the course of the next couple of weeks. Until the next episode, I will see you all soon. Take care. Goodbye. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.